This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. Today it's as normal. I'm reading from the NIV because that's in the large print. And as you know, that's what I need. Title message today, The Supremacy of Jesus Christ, or the preeminence, the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And I'm reading from the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. When I sat down to pray about the service this morning and what I would bring, I was led to this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. And I'll be starting at chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 14. You know, I'm, I'm not a builder. I've built a few things. But one thing I do know, if you don't have a good foundation, every part from there on is a waste of time. Because as soon as the wind blows, it'll fall over. You know, I built a little shed out in the farm one day, and it wasn't a very big shed, but I had to house an electric motor and a pump. But I had a six-inch block cement foundation that you wouldn't have moved with a hurricane. <laughs> so I sort of overemphasized it a little bit. But that shed's still standing when I left the farm because it was built on a good set foundation. And that's what I want to bring out today is the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ and his supremacy. Now let's begin reading. It's, we'll start at verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because, you've, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will through the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Colossae was once a very mighty town or city, but when the Romans came in and took over that whole region, the trade movements and the, and the ways moved away from there a bit. And so their significance in the region dropped off. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus had got there because Paul had gone to Ephesus. And this is where Epaphras had been saved. And he had taken the good news to that town of Colossae. It's believed that Paul didn't go there but the good news got there that Paul was proclaiming in Ephesus. Paul wrote this letter 
when he was in jail in Rome. And word had come to him that things were starting to develop in that town. The situation was starting to arise and that he needed to do something about it. And as he started this, wrote this letter, much of it was good news. Now, Paul often started his letters with saying something good. He cited the good things that they were doing. And it was the same here. He was grateful for their faith in Jesus, their love for the saints. He rejoiced in the fruit that was being produced in the work that they were doing for, for Jesus and for the love that they had in the spirit for all the saints. So Paul's seen good things that they were doing, but there was a troubling problem starting to creep in. And Paul's seen fit to send this letter because he wanted to address this situation that had come to him. He wanted to deal with it before it got any worse. What the problem was, it doesn't say. It doesn't point out what it was. But what we do know from reading through it, that it was a doctrinal problem, a doctrinal heresy that was beginning to creep in. And that heresy attacked the total adequacy and the unique supremacy of Christ. King James Version puts it, the preeminence of Christ. Let's read on from verses 15 to 18. This is talking about the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Preeminence means having paramount rank, dignity, importance, to be first, to be in the first position, the highest rank, superiority, the most high. Jesus is above all things. He is also the visible image of the invisible God. We want to know what God is like. We need to look to Jesus because he is the perfect manifestation of God. Jesus came to the earth and he took on the fleshly body of mankind. He was fully man and he was fully God. He came to restore back to God what had been lost. In the Garden of Eden where we read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our image. In the, in the image of God, he created them. Jesus is the invisible image of God, and man was made in the same image. But because of sin, sin entered the lives that man could not reach that destiny that God had planned for him to do because that relationship had been broken. And this is why Jesus came to restore what was lost. Jesus is the firstborn among all creation. Now, when we look at that firstborn and see the word born, we refer to, or we see it as we were born. In a moment of time, we were born, we came into the world, we were created. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus came into the world. Jesus wasn't created and born like we are. He was above all. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been and he always will be. 
The word firstborn means it refers to his preeminent position in God's kingdom, his superior standing, his predominant place. Jesus holds the highest honour. This is what I want to bring out this morning is this total supremacy of Christ. He is the foundation of our faith and he is above all things, all principalities, all powers, all things in earth must bow and worship him. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the, light, the darkness did not understand it. You see, not only was Jesus the creator of all things, but he's also the sustainer. In him is life, and through him we have that promise of eternal life. Through Christ and what he has done for us, we have the promise of life eternal in the kingdom of God. As we heard last night, God is true to his promise, and he will fulfill his promise because he is faithful to his promise. He is a faithful God. So in Christ Jesus is the beginning of creation and is the end of creation and he is the power that holds it all together. Only in Christ he's also the head of the church, the body which is the church. And for us it's a privilege to be a part of his body because it's through his body the church, not the building, but the people in it who worship him because it's through us, the church, that he does his work. He's called us, he's given us a commission to take his good news into all the world. So it's a privilege for us to be a part of that. He is the head of it. It's our privilege to be a part and he gives us that mandate to take the good news into all the world. It's the instrument through which he works. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us which way to go. We can walk past 10 people and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will show one that you can talk to, one who needs to hear the good news. You never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do, but we need to have a listening ear and be a sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing and we will see those ones. He's also the firstborn among the dead. Yes, Jesus did die on a cruel cross and he was placed in a grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. On the third day he rose and he lives forevermore. Now when we die and leave this place and we go to heaven, that's who we will meet. We won't meet some dead hero. We will meet a living, everlasting Christ. And he's gone before. He's prepared a way. He said, I go and I prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. And the result of all this is that he has supremacy in all things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is his title to supreme lordship. We keep on going now in Colossians verses 19 to 23. 19 to 23, verses 1. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That peace that surpasses all understanding is ours, all because of what he did for us on the cross. Because once we were all alienated from God, we're enemies in our minds because of our evil behaviour, but now he's reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and without accusation. That's how we can stand before God, holy without blemish before God. Only because of Jesus, that perfect blood that was shed can cleanse us and make us holy, justified and without blemish. If that's not cause for praise, I don't know what is. I know my background, my past, but Jesus is able to redeem, restore and make holy through his blood. How could we not bow and worship? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I am a servant. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus in bodily form. The reason Jesus came to earth was to reconcile us back into a right relationship with God. The initiative of all that was God himself. We we didn't initiate. He did it all for us. While we were still dead and lost in our sin, he went to the cross. It was God who began the whole process of our salvation because he's the only one that can pay the price for our sin. Because once we were all dead and lost in our sins and we're alienated from God, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus, when we repent of our sins and invite Jesus to come into our hearts and and be Lord of our lives, when we believe in the saving blood of Jesus, we are redeemed and we are justified. So how does all this relate to us? Why is this important? Well, i go back to why Paul wrote this letter. Just as there were enemies in the Christian church back then, so they are today. Maybe they're not exactly the same, but the spirit behind it is. That is that Jesus and the cross were just not enough. That Jesus is not the only way to salvation. That the blood of Jesus is not enough. And because of this heresy that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians and he put so much teaching into the total adequacy and the unique supremacy of Christ. Paul really dealt right into the heart of the issue that's going on there because he knew where the answer was. It's in the supremacy and the adequacy of Jesus and the blood that was shed on the cross. That's what they were attacking. And these heresies needed to be exposed and dealt with. We move on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Do you know how much I'm struggling for you, for all those in Laodicea and all those who have not met me personally? He said, it's not known whether Paul went there or not, but he certainly knew about their situation. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how orderly you are 
and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Yet yeah, there was this new teaching that was beginning to arise at that time, and it later went in to be known as Gnosticism. That is that these people believed that you needed to have a higher power, higher knowledge of understanding, and only a select few could attain to it. They believed that all matter was evil, all spirit was good, that higher knowledge was needed to break free from the physical realm, to enter into the spiritual realm. You know, they believed in Jesus as a higher being, but not as the Son of God. They didn't believe in his deity. He was just a good man. And as many people believe the same thing, that Jesus was just a good man. He was a prophet. But they don't believe he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the one who reigns supreme over all. We must not deny his deity because he is the king. Now we need to be aware of wolves and sheep's clothing. As the scripture said, this is a warning from Jesus. When these people come in to the church dressed in sheep's clothing, they try and to say that, we, that they have a greater knowledge, a greater revelation, a higher knowledge of the secrets of the gospel. But the scripture also tells that by their fruit you will recognize them. But we need to be aware. The scripture makes it, puts it in there so that we can be aware of these things and not get taken by surprise. You know, it's, we don't need a higher revelation like these Gnostics were saying, the revelation we have is that Christ is Lord. In him, all the answers to life are found in him and through his word. Now, we live by faith, not by sight, not by higher knowledge. They were replacing faith with intellect. We stand by faith. We live by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's by faith in Christ we stand. We don't need a higher education, a higher knowledge, a higher understanding all we have is found in Christ all we need is found in Christ so we need to be aware of anything that comes in that's not based on the true word of God and not based on Christ and Christ alone the secret of the gospel is revealed in Christ Jews and Gentiles have become one body that was the secret Paul pointed this out in Ephesians where the secret of the understanding is of the gospel message was that Jews and Gentiles become one. Now it's all done through Christ. So now there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And we also see there that there were also some Jews that lived in Colossae and they were trying to bring in too that the church should be following certain legalistic rules and laws. And they were brought down from the faith of Judaism. But in Colossae we'd Move on to Colossians 11, 11, and I won't read all of that, was pointing out there that in him were you circumcised 
and put off the sinful nation, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with a circumcision done with Christ. And down to verse 13 it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ and forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the written code, the law, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers, authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, new moon, celebration, Sabbath day. They are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Verse 19, he has, wait, sorry, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. So Jesus come and set us free from these rules and regulations, but this is what the Judas, Judaizers were trying to bring into the church. It was another step that you had to do to be saved. You know, it's, it brings back to works. You're saved by your good works, but we're saved for good works. We need to be alert and awake so that we don't become deceived, deceived either. Let's not deny the deity of Jesus Christ and his supremacy above all things. Jesus came to bring freedom from the curse of the law. You know, and if we were to go back into those old ways, we'd be go back into bondage to the law again. And Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, warned against that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. So how can we be watchful? Go into chapter 3, verses 1, 1 to 17. Since then you've been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And put on, down at verse 10, put on the new self, which has been renewed. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on the virtues of love that binds it all together. You know, love is the greatest virtue that binds all these things together. If we have not love, well, then we're just a clanging bell. Now, when we believe and are baptised and we, we become a new creation, the old is gone, we put off those old things, the new has come. And that means that there has to be a change. No longer are we going to be continuing doing the things of the past. When we repent and turn away from the past, we're a new creation and now... We see things in a new way. We're no longer setting our hearts 
and our minds on earthly things, but on heavenly. Now, in Christ, we're all called sons and daughters of God. Therefore, our attitudes and our motives will change. We still need to be in the world. God's not taken us out of the world. We're still a part of the world. We're still here to work, make a living, to have relationships. But our attitude toward our motives toward it will change. There will be differences. As Christians, we are to view everything from a background of eternity. No longer will we see this world as that this is at all that matters. This world that we're in, well, this is it. I've heard that said before. I'm going to make the most of this world because it's nothing after it. Not what the scripture says. In Christ, we have eternity in his kingdom. So our whole motive and our whole attitude will change toward the things of this world. Our values will change. Things that used to bring us down, like worry and so on, won't be able to anymore because the things of this world will have no longer have power or control over us. We now come under the control of the Holy Spirit. When we see things in a new way, for instance, we will set giving above getting, serving above ruling, forgiving above avenging. So we'll be seeing things in a whole new light. We're seeing things now through his eyes, the one who loves us. Because you see, we're now positioned in Christ. So we're going to see things from his perspective. In Christ Jesus, therefore, we need to put off the old nature, which we read, and put on the new nature and walk in his ways, being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. So those old things of the past, it's like taking off an old overcoat, throwing it on the ground and picking up his robe of righteousness. Now we are child of the king. I'm now an ambassador of the king. So how am I going to live that old way? No way. He's the king. He gave his life as a ransom. So I want to live for him, setting our hearts and minds on things above. How do we do that? You know, as I was reminded when I was a little kid, you know, the first, no, it wasn't the first tractor. One of the first tractors that Dad bought was the little grey Fergie. And, of course, as kids, we were able to drive it because it was easy. And um, I can remember as a kid one day, Dad wanted me to go and put out some fertiliser for him. And um, if you don't know what you're doing, it's not easy. It looks easy, but it's not. And um, it's easy doing the first row because you go along the fence line. But then when you turn and you're coming back the other way, if you're, if you're looking at the wheel tracks there, you'll gradually get closer and closer. Or if you're looking at the see how far you've got to go, you'll get further away. And Dad came down, he could see my rows were like this. And he stopped me, he said, son, look, when you turn at the end of the road, get it lined up, get your wits right, and then look at something way ahead and just focus on that, and you will go straight. So this is what we can do with the cross. When we put the cross before us and follow that, the stuff here and the stuff there that are wanting to draw us away, but focus on the cross, and that's where we'll end up. Put behind us those things that are going to lead us astray. This is how we stay on course. Keep our focus on the Lord and don't be distracted. It's like in the car rally coming up. It'll, it'll be all right. You'll, you'll get there. Barbecues last all day. When you come to a T intersection, it's easy to make a choice which way to go. That way is going the wrong way. That way is the right way. So it's easy to choose. But what happens when you come to a fork in the road? Both look as though they're heading in the right direction. So you say, well, it won't really matter which one I take. 
but you could be so wrong because one of them will take you where you don't want to go, the other one will take you to where you want to go. And I've heard it said that it doesn't matter which God you worship because they're all heading to the same place. How wrong? How wrong? Because there's only one who gave his life as a ransom for our sin, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. He's the Christ and he is the one who paid the debt for our sin. That's the correct way to take. And we know it because the word teaches us that. So what are we to keep our eyes on? Keep our eyes on the word and on Christ our Lord. And then we'll end up in the right place. Now Jesus is the one who paid that full debt. And the heresy that Paul was addressing in the church Colossae, it was a mixture of Judaism, Gnosticism and Christianity and it needed to be corrected. Only Jesus saves. Once we were all dead and lost in our sins, alienated from God, but Jesus paid the price for our sin. The false teachers were trying to undercut the major doctrines of Christianity, his deity, absolute lordship, and supremacy. Now, I can never forget there was such a revelation to me one night here during church in the middle of the worship and I was hands raised worshipping and praising and I was like a, a being, I couldn't put a face to it, but like a being came in and looked across and said, please don't deny me. That really spoke to me. Please don't deny me. He's the Christ. He's worthy of all of our praise. That really spoke to me. It stuck with me. I don't want to deny him. I don't want to deny his deity. He is Lord. He's the Christ. I like what Pastor Trevor said earlier, you know, the, the Queen did a great job and she's worthy to be thanked. But how much more the King of Kings? That really spoke to me. You know, we, I'm not pointing the finger at him because I'm, I was the same. When I was a young bloke at Sunday school, you know, we had a, a minister come once and we thought he was wonderful. He preached for 10 minutes. We thought he was great because we could get back to doing what we wanted to do. Well, I've changed. <laughs> so I'm not pointing the finger to anyone. If you're, if you're in a hurry to get going, that's okay. I am finished. I'd just like to finish with this quote, a quote from Jack Hayford. Jesus is Lord is the church's earliest confession. It remains the abiding test of authentic Christianity. Neither the church nor the individual believer can afford to compromise Christ's deity. In his sovereignty lies his sufficiency. He will be Lord of everything or Lord or not Lord at all. He is Lord of everything or not Lord at all. So we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives, the centre of our being. We're positioned in him, so we want to serve him with everything we have to bring glory and bring honour to him. Amen. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, that your word comes alive through the Spirit. We thank you that you made yourself known to us. Lord, when we were dead and lost in our sin, you just made yourself known to us. You demonstrated your love to us by dying on a cruel cross. And this is why we gather together, Father. We gather together to worship you and to encourage one another in the things of you. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, we go in the name of Jesus, 
full of your spirit, Lord, with an energised spirit, energised heart to take your good news into all the world. You've raised us up to be ambassadors, to take your good news into the world, to, to live for you, to let your light shine in this dark world. And, Lord, we know that darkness cannot overcome the light. Lightness, uh, light overcomes the darkness. So, Father, we want to give you all the thanks and praise today that, Lord, as we go, Lord, we will go in your name to bring glory and bring honour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.